0: The song we just experienced I think captures some of the agony of our relational experiences. It's hard to pillow your head at night without having the thoughts of all the anguish involved in some of our relationships tucking themselves in right by you and wrestling through the difficulty it is. You know, we can't make people like us, but here's the truth. We can do the work that will make it possible to create an environment where relationships thrive. We can do the work. But I have to tell you, I'm not, I'm not by nature the brightest guy when it comes to relationships. If you're talking about the IQ of, of relationships, I, I think I came to the game a couple cards short of a full deck, because it's like, I just, I don't know, I, I, I didn't get it. And I can prove this to you, as well, it's like, Roxanne and I had been dating going on three years, and we were really close to getting married, and I have to tell you, I was all in. I, it's, uh, we've now been married uh, 38 years, in June it'll be 39, and here's the thing, we, yeah, which is great, thank you, I appreciate it. Um, I got. I have to get that in to brag on her. That's why we've been married that long. But uh, here we were, just before we were going to get married, both of us all in. But I couldn't picture a lifetime. You know, I, I couldn't picture what a relationship like a lifetime would be like. I was pretty young, and I remember. I, I can't believe I was dumb enough to vocalize this, but I. I looked her in the eye, one of those romantic moments young couples have, and I said, you know, here's the thing, I'm all in, I don't want you to think I'm questioning the marriage or anything, but I can't figure out what we're going to talk about for the rest of our lives. I just, I mean, really, I couldn't imagine, I mean, there's only so many things I know, I don't have a lifetime worth of conversations, it's like, you know, think about this, she could have run right then, I gave her the chance, it's like, this dude's an idiot, you know, boom, out of there, but... She didn't, and she gave me an answer that I've never forgotten. In fact, it was a life-defining answer. She says, Brad, I, I guess we'll talk about each day the things that happen each day. Brilliant! <laughs> it's like, wow, that's how'd you think of that? And it might sound simple, but it's not. And here's what I've realized, her answer was profound way beyond conversations. Her answer was profound because that's exactly how relationships are built each day. I kind of went into marriage thinking that it was about the event. You get married and then you're married forever. That's how good marriages are for. You, you stand on a platform, you say, I do, come on. I'm, I'm giving it all on the altar, so to speak. I mean, it's an event, but great marriages aren't made by the event. Great marriages are made every day by the choices we do or don't make. And the same is true of all relationships. And you need to know this isn't a marriage series, but it's a series that works with marriage. And if it can work with marriage, it can work with any relationship in any area of our lives. It can work in the marketplace relationships and friendships. It can work in our spiritual relationships. It can work if we do the work. And so here we are in this series called Relationship Stuff and I want you to know we mean it by that series title, it's stuff. We're throwing out a bunch of stuff and, and I, I'm hoping that some of this becomes like catalytic inspiration in your life to go further. There's just no way that everything I'm going to talk about this weekend is going to be as significant as everything else in it but let me just tell you, There's going to be something in this talk, in this conversation we have, that can be a catalytic inspiration to enhance your relationships in every arena of life, if you'll do the work. Here's the truth. Healthy relationships are made, not found. It it sounds so simple. I I mean... Why would I stand on a platform and say it? But the fact is, we don't go about life this way. We're all trying to find the great relationship. This is why we jump from job to job. We're trying to find the great relationship, find the great boss, find the great employees. We're trying to do that often. We're we're often jumping from romantic relationship to romantic relationship. We're trying to find it. We're finally... Some people jump from marriage to marriage because they're trying to finally find, you know, the... The healthy marriage relationship, we're trying to find the friendships there. A lot of people jump from church to church trying to find, you know, the perfect pastor. I can tell you right now, go to another church if you're looking for the perfect one. It's not here. But you don't find healthy relationships. You make healthy relationships. And that's how I was starting. What are we going to talk about for the rest of our lives? That's not how you do relationship. You don't find the person that already has all that they need for every conversation you'll have for a lifetime. You make a life worthy of continuing the conversation with. Healthy relationships are made, not found, which means it's up to us. In fact, look at, if you would, Proverbs 18, 24, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. I love this particular translation of this verse. It's in the New King James, and it's basically saying, look at, if you want to have healthy friendships friendships worth having for a lifetime, then you have to be friendly. You have to make them. It's true in every arena of our relationships. So let me just jump to the application. If we're going to experience healthy relationships, if we're going to enjoy healthy relationships, then then we have to, and I left these last three blank for a reason, this is the punch in this application. We have to do the work. And this is the problem with relationships. We're wanting to find the perfect relationship. We're not wanting to have to do the work to make the perfect relationship, which is why we don't have them. It's true in the marketplace. You're not going to find the perfect employees. We're going to do the work to make it possible for them to be that. And we're not going to find the perfect boss. We're going to have to do the work to to forge a relationship where it becomes the right one for us. And the same in marriage and every other relational context of life. You have to do the work. You have to do the work. You have to do the work. But what's the work? So I just thought I'd throw out a bunch of principles that that are the work of making a great relationship, a healthy relationship and somewhere in here I think there'll be something that can inspire you to go further. There's no way I'm going to take any of these points far enough for you. But if you find one that's the hook in your life and you go that's it for me, then go further with it in your life. And I'm going to tell you, you need to be analyzing every arena of relationships in your life If you're in the context of a family, then you have to analyze that. If you're in the context of a marriage, yep. Context of work relationships, friendships, spiritual relationships. Look at these things and say, am I doing the work or am I just wanting it to happen? And I promise you, when you find conflict and tension and unhealthiness, dysfunction in your relationship in any context, you're going to find that it's because this work isn't being done either by you or the other because it does take two in the end. So what is the work? Well, if we're gonna do the work of making healthy relationships, then it starts with the fact that we have to be proactive. We have to be proactive. Sounds so simple on the surface, but it's not. And I'm gonna tell you, this means that we have to take the initiative. And this isn't how we're going about relationships. We're we're waiting for the other person to take the initiative so that they're worthy of a good response from us. We're waiting for them to do right so that we'll do right. And that's just never going to happen. In fact, look at what Jesus says. It's a very famous little verse, but it's not one that we practice much. Luke 6, 31, do to others as you would have them do to you. That's proactive. You know that, right? We're supposed to do to others in the way we would want them to do to us. We're supposed to proact that. Initiate that, in hopes that maybe the response will be there, whether it is or not, it's a whole other thing. But you know, we tend to do this in reverse, right? Because we're trying to find the right relationship, find the perfect person, find the great thing that happens. We we do this in reverse. We react. Here's what we do. We do to others as they've done to us. Isn't that how we work it? Well, my boss sucked it up this week, so I'm going to suck it back up this week to them. My, my spouse was horrific today, so I'm going to be perfect back. And we're, we're in this reactionary relationship of dysfunction. You're looking to find a relationship you'll never have because relationships aren't found, they're made. And if you're going to do the work, you have to be proactive. You have to initiate it. But what if they don't respond? You have to keep initiating it. And if they never respond, that that's... A problem in the long run but I promise you this if all you do is react all they'll do is react and all you'll get is dysfunction. We have to be proactive we have to start doing ahead of time that which we would want done to us and you know it's really a problem here with this reactive thing very often we're doing unto others what not they but someone else has done to us. We, we go to work and and the people we're in relationship with at work, you know, do something to us. And, and we come home and then we react in our family setting to that dysfunction that happened at work. And what do we do? We pass on the destruction. I'm sorry that, that we as human beings have bad days, but how dare us to throw it down in our other relationships? We need to be Proactive not reactive if we're going to do the work that comes with making a relationship healthy then we have to understand that it requires doing the work of being authentic we have to be authentic and again that sounds pretty innocuous but it's not at all because can I tell you right up front we as human beings because we're flawed each and every one of us we by nature wear masks because, see, we know who we are on the inside. We know the shadows that lurk, the dysfunction that's in there, the the hurts, the pains. We know all that. And we're really afraid. This is why we wear masks in the first place. We're really afraid that if they know what's really in there... They won't love us, they won't like us, they won't hire us, they won't want to hang with us. The relationship will down, break down. So we wear masks. We also wear masks because we've learned that you can't trust people on the front edge. You've got to prove their dependability. So you wear masks so that you don't get hurt on the, on the opening arenas of these relationships. But if we're going to do the work of making relationships, we have to be authentic. We have to take the masks off. We have to stop pretending Because as long as I'm wearing a mask, no matter how much that person loves me, they're loving a mask and not me, which means I know that they don't love me, they love something that's pretend me. And it doesn't matter how long you're in a relationship, you can be in a relationship for decades and still feel alone and empty and isolated and unloved because they've never loved you, they've loved the mask. You have to do the work of taking the masks off. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.12. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, especially in our relationships with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. Integrity means oneness. In other words, it's not two things. It's one, we're, we're the same on the inside as the outside. There's no mask there, and it's godly sincerity. It's like we are exactly who we are in our presentation to you. No masks. If we don't do the work of becoming authentic and taking the masks off, it's a relationship killer. We need to do the work. If we're going to make relationships that are healthy, then we need to do the work that comes with being committed. We have to be committed. And it is true that in a a marriage context, and many of us aren't married here, I get that, and this isn't a marriage series. but. But it's certainly true in marriage, there's got to be commitment, right? I mean, it's like, whew. In fact, one of the disastrous things about the way we're going about the building of intimate romantic relationships and ultimately even families is that we've decided commitment is unnecessary to the building of that relationship. And you're absolutely wrong because without commitment, you'll never be secure enough to take all the masks off. You need to know in the context of a relationship that in the end, the investment could be worth it, which means it needs to have payoffs down the road, and certainly in marriage, without the commitment thing, it's done. But let's go, it's not just marriage. How about work relationships? What business owner or employer is ever going to want to do the unbelievable resource investment in helping you to become everything you could become if you're going to keep looking around for the next available opportunity every second. There's got to be some level of commitment. Same thing in friendships. I mean we need to realize that commitment is the essential work of building any kind of healthy relationship. It's the only environment where healthy relationships can be built. Look, Look at Ruth chapter 1 verse 16, but Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. By the way, that's a great passage. Talk about commitment. I don't know if you know this, but that's used in tons of weddings. You've probably heard that. You know what's weird? It's not a wedding text. Ruth is saying this. Now this blows my brain. Ruth is saying this to her (laughs) mother-in-law. You know why our relationships with our in-laws aren't very good? There's no commitment to them, pal. Yeah, you know, it's just not. It's like, I don't have to deal with you, you don't have to deal with me. In fact, I wouldn't let you have my daughter or son if it was up to me but but this relationship was amazing because Ruth came at this thing and said I'm committed to you to her mother-in-law and they their story was so compelling that God included it in the Bible you know why our relationships aren't all that compelling because we try and have the greatest relationships without any commitment we We want to find them. We don't want to do the work of them. I bet you if you analyze the relationships that are most frayed in your life in any arena, you'll find that a lack of commitment is at the center of the problem. If we're going to do the work of of making relationships that are healthy, then we have to be honest. I mean, you know, that's the foundational reality of a healthy relationship, being honest. I, I love how... The Bible is sometimes so poetic, look at Proverbs 24, verse 26. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Wow. <laughs> it's one of the most beautiful things that you can experience, an honest answer. And you know what's really sad? We don't get them very often, do we? One of the principles, I wish I had invented the language, I didn't, but once I heard the language it became a part of my soul, is that it's not enough to tell people 90% of the truth. We have to give them the last 10%. And I'm going to tell you, I, I have found that most relationships aren't anything what they could be, and I'm talking about in any arena of life, because It's really easy to be honest about the 90 percent. Because it's comfortable to talk about, it's easy to talk about, it's not going to create tension, it's not going to drive them away, you know. We can wear our masks and tell the 90 percent. But the last 10 percent, that's something. And the truth is, by nature, it's very difficult in a positive context to give the last 10 percent. You know, know when we give the last 10%, we don't give it when we're motivated by love and to make the relationship healthier and to make the other person stronger. We don't give the last 10% when we're trying to lift people up. You know, the only time we have the nerve to give the last 10% is when we are so pissed that we want to take them down. And so we reserve up that last 10% until everything's going wrong and we're in a bad place. And so we throw out the last 10% not to help them, but to hurt them. Not to lift them up, but to tear them down. Not to build the relationship, but to destroy it. But if we're going to make relationships healthy, then... For the purpose of lifting up and encouraging and building, making it healthy, we need to give the last 10%. Look at Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Isn't it sad, so often in our most intimate of relationships, those wounds can't be trusted because we know they're harsh and they're intended to hurt. They're not intended to help. No wonder we're having difficulty in our relationships. Matthew 18, 15, Jesus is laying out how you can keep a relationship healthy. If your brother sins against you or sister, go and show them their fault, just between the two of you. You don't go underground, you don't go behind the scenes, you you don't hold it until you can use it like an atomic bomb to destroy them when they're, you know, making you mad. I mean, you go to them and if they listen, you've won yourself your brother or sister. What we need to do is we need to share the last 10%, when someone hurts us, we need to go to them for the purpose of helping the relationship be better, to say, this hurts. And I'm not doing it to tear you down or to be mean. I'm telling you because it hurts. If we're going to do the work of making relationships that are healthy, then we have to be considerate, we have to be considerate, and by considerate, I mean thoughtful. And I want you to know, I have a hard time teaching on these subjects sometimes because I'm not the perfect pattern for what these truths are. I like teaching the truths that I'm good at naturally because then I can stand up like a, you know, a male peacock going, all my feathers, look at me. The problem with this one is I'm, I'm exposed. This is why I, many of you have never met Roxanne. We keep her locked away. Uh, it's really (laughs) important. Um, We have to be considered, we have to be thoughtful. Being thoughtful is not my greatest strength. Being active, being quick, being aggressive, that's a strength, but not being thoughtful. And you know when I'm running fast and I'm processing quickly, I. I'm not thinking about the people I'm bulldozing over. I'm thinking about where I need to go and what I need to do. It's a very selfish thing not to be considerate. And I do it as a leader. I do it as a husband. I do it as a father. I do it as a friend. But we make relationships through consideration. I mean, Philippians 2, it's a perfect passage. Verses 3 and 4, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider, be considerate. Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let me ask you, that relationship with the most amount of tension and shadows in it? So have you been doing to others as you would have them do to you? You've been unbelievably thoughtful and unbelievably considerate? Or maybe not. If we're going to do the work of making relationships, then we have, to, we have to be considerate. But it goes beyond being considerate. We also have to be supportive. I mean supportive. In fact, what's, what's the use of a relationship if we're not helping each other to carry the load, if we're not helping to pick each other up, if we're not supporting each other, and making life easier for each other? Well, what is the point if all we're doing is adding to the burden of each other? And this is true in any setting, in the marketplace setting. if all we're doing is making the burden bigger for each other, What, what good is that? Even a marriage, all we're doing is making it harder for each other. What, what's the point of that? We have to be supportive. Look at Romans 12:15: Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. You know you know what I found uh, about my humanity at least? I don't know if you can identify with this or not, but it's pretty easy for me to mourn with those who mourn. Not everyone's empathetic, I get it, and I'm not always empathetic, but it's pretty easy for me to mourn with those who mourn because, you know, if I'm mourning with those who are mourning, it means that, man, their life's falling apart around them, you know? I mean, they're experiencing the worst part of lives. Their dreams aren't coming true. Their health is being taken. They didn't get the job. I mean, and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm really sorry. But you know, it's really hard for me. It's often hard for me to rejoice with those who are rejoicing because you know what I'm often having to do? I'm having to rejoice with them when I have nothing to rejoice about myself. Think about it in the marketplace. You mean I'm supposed to rejoice with the person who got the job that I think I should have gotten? I'm supposed to rejoice with the boss that hasn't treated me the way I'm supposed to be treated. I'm supposed to rejoice when my spouse is doing great and I'm not doing great. I'm supposed to rejoice. You see, it's pretty tough, but that's what relationships are made out of. People who are that supportive... You don't know someone loves you deeply when they mourn, when you're worse off. You know someone loves you deeply when they're willing to celebrate you when they're not doing well at all. That's a relationship that's being built. What's the work we need to do if we're going to make relationships that are healthy? Well, we have to be trustworthy. In fact, I'm just going to tell you that this is kind of towards the end of the chain because... All the others are really important, but if you're not trustworthy, none of the others matter. Who cares that you're considerate if you're not trustworthy? Who cares if you're supportive if you're not trustworthy? Who cares about any of that stuff if you're not trustworthy? You're just pulling the rug out from under the relationship. This means being faithful and dependable. Look at Proverbs 11:13. A gossip betrays a confidence. A gossip, someone who takes information that is private to another person And instead of dealing with it in the last 10%, you know, really trying to lift them up, they go around and they tell other people because it makes them look like they know something. They've got the skinny. They've got all this different stuff. And they don't care how they're laying that other person out. It's destructive not to communicate to the person but to take the personal and to destroy them with it out here. And that's what what most of our marketplace relationships are like, right? Many of our personal relationships, we're telling things about those who we're intimate with to other people, but not to them. Are you kidding me? But look at the last part of this verse, Proverbs eleven thirteen. 13, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. It's sacred. Do you know how you make a relationship healthy? By taking the heart of that thing and making it sacred. I mean, trustworthy. The truth is, most people won't be. I'm just going to tell you, I'm sorry, the majority won't be. And I don't encourage you just to start trusting people immediately. I'm all about community and getting in relationships, but you better test it out over time before you take the leap because I'm going to tell you, you'll get daggered and you'll get daggered quickly by the majority of people. But if you do the work of being trustworthy, you know what will happen? You'll find some people who are willing to do the work with you of being trustworthy and then you'll have a handful of people whom can forge in you the strength to do life in a great way. Do you know what you can do when you have a handful of people who are trustworthy? You can take on the onslaughts of thousands against you when you have the handful of people who are for you, it'll make you strong but you have to do the work. Are you? We all want people to be trustworthy to us, are we trustworthy to them? Are we doing to others what we want done to us? This is how we make relationships healthy and then this last thing, if we're going to do the work of, of building healthy relationships, we have to be consistent. And this is a big one. And I saved it to the end on purpose, because you see, we have to be consistent in all the areas I've I've addressed. If we're gonna really do the work of making relationships healthy, then we have to be consistently proactive, and consistently authentic, and consistently committed, and consistently honest, and consistently considerate, and supportive, and trustworthy. And I'm gonna tell you, this isn't natural. I'm really good at the short, inspirational sprint, you know? You know, like the thoughtful one, the considerate one? Phew. After I've really blown it with my wife and she's made it known, you know, that, that, you know. I am unbelievably considerate for the next three days or so. But that's not what makes a healthy relationship. What makes a healthy relationship is being consistently considerate. And this works in staff relationships. I'll have reviews with staff and talk about some of the things They go, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. Yeah, I know, seven years ago. But it'd be great if you did it consistently. This is the hallmark of a healthy relationship, consistency. All of us have been great in moments. Usually it's during the easy times, during the best of times, when life is filled with sunshine. But you know what makes a great relationship is consistency. Is this what defines you? Are you making relationships or hoping to find them? Proverbs seventeen, seventeen: a friend loves at all times consistency and a brother is born for a time of adversity when you do the work of making healthy relationships you'll ultimately gather a handful of people not a multitude because you can do the work and the other person won't but ultimately if you're doing the work you're going to find some that will and when you do that work you'll find the handful of brothers and sisters people who are willing to run the hill with you, who are willing to face down the giants with you, who are willing to stand with you, and you'll start experiencing, and enjoying the kind of relationships most people only long for. But they're not willing to do the work. We've got to do the work. But I have to tell you, I have some final thoughts on this relationship thing, on making relationships. Some final thoughts that I believe become the capstone to making any consistent application at all to this talk and here, here's the first, there are three final thoughts, here's the first one, Jesus is our greatest relational example. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to go from the horizontal relationships that we struggle with to the vertical relationship that we struggle with and you need to understand this, The vertical relationship with God is absolutely essential if we're going to have the right horizontal relationships with each other. And it starts with Jesus. He's our greatest relational example. If you go through Jesus' life and look at the characteristics I've talked about, he evidenced all of them. It was the essence of his life. And look at 1 John 4 19. It says, We love because he first loved us. Until we experience his example in our lives, then we'll never be able to love others the right way. Look at John 15 13. Greater love has no one than this, but to lay down one's life for his friends. And he's the greatest relational example because Jesus came to give his life for us. Not to get from us, but to give. And and do you realize, not? One of us deserves a relationship with God. Not one of us deserves God's love. Not one of us deserves it. Jesus is the only one who ever earned it and who ever deserved it. And then you know what he did? The wages of our sin is death. He died on the cross in our place. And then he rose again so that we could have what none of us deserve and none of us could earn. He gave it to us. Talk about relational love. Can you imagine if we loved the way Jesus loved? If we followed his example? Can you imagine Talk about doing to others what we'd want them doing to us. Is he your example of what kind of employee you are? Is he the example for what kind of employer you are? Is he the example for what kind of husband or wife you are? Is he the example for what kind of friend you are? Really? You know, the Bible calls us to that. Read Ephesians 5. It says, husbands and wives, if you're going to be the right kind of husbands and wives, you've got to... Follow the example of Jesus. Dads and kids, if you're going to be the right kind of parents and kids, you have to follow the example. Employers and employees, you've got to follow the example of Jesus. Here's the question, are you? That's how you make a relationship healthy. Another final thought. Jesus is our greatest relational opportunity he's our greatest opportunity we're all look at we all want better human relationships we all want them to be better in every arena of our life and I know we're going to be disappointed a lot in that arena but you know what we pursue our human relationships with a greater priority than we pursue our relationship with Jesus but the reverse should be true because our greatest relational opportunity the one that will never leave us empty and never leave us betrayed and never leave us hurting and never lead us pain and never lead us to the wrong way is our relationship with Jesus why wouldn't we pursue his relationship first it's the greatest relational opportunity look at if you would first John 3 1 I love how John said it. see what great love the father has poured out on us that we can be called the children of God and that is what we are because of him and you know it's interesting about this relationship talk this one in particular it's all about us doing the work right if you're going to have the healthy relationship we've got to do the work but you know With Jesus, he already did all the work and all we have to do is receive the gift. I mean, look at John one twelve. but as many as received him, to them he gives the authority, the power, the privilege of becoming the children of God. To those who just simply believe in his name, all you have to do is receive the gift. And what's really sad is most of us are struggling in our human relationships because we've not yet experienced the overflowing love of Jesus in our life. And the reason we haven't experienced the overflowing love of Jesus in our life, we're trying to earn it. That's what religion teaches us. But let me tell you, religion's wrong. He already earned it. All you have to do is receive it, have you? In a moment, we're going to celebrate communion, which is the great celebration Where we who've received the love of Jesus remember what he did for us. But how can you remember what he did for you if you've never received what he did for you? You can't. Communions for those of us who have by faith received it. So why wouldn't I give you the opportunity before we celebrate communion? I can't imagine. And so just before I finish this talk and we move into the celebration of communion and worship, would you bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment? And whatever you're going to talk to God about, I hope that you will. But if you're here and you want to receive the gift of a relationship with him, won't you pray with me? Take my words in this prayer. Just quietly in your heart, make them yours. Just say, Jesus, I, in this moment, I want to receive you. I know that with your body and with your blood, you made it possible for me to be forgiven and to know God's love. And so I give you my sin, and I, I put my trust in your death and resurrection, and I'm asking you to make me a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just before we celebrate communion and I finish this talk, I want to encourage you, if you prayed with me, please let, let me know. We have information about next steps that you can take in your relationship with God. We want to give you a Bible. We've made it easy. If you're in one of our campus settings, just take out the program that you were handed Inside's a connection card. You just rip it out, fill it out. Check either, I prayed for the first time to receive Jesus, or I prayed to renew my faith, and then throw it in one of the boxes at the exit as you leave, and we'll send you a Bible, and we'll send you information about your relationship with God. And if you're watching online, somewhere around the world, hit the what next button and we'll do the same thing for you but the last thought before we celebrate communion i want to share comes from John 15 verse 12 Jesus says my command is this love each other as i have loved you you know i already read the verse right next door to this one in the bible and where he says you know what the kind you know what makes love great when someone's willing to give themselves for others. And then he says love each other as I've loved you. Loving Jesus is our greatest relational challenge. My challenge as a leader in the marketplace is to care about the people on my team the way that Jesus cares. My relational challenge as a husband is to care about my wife, Roxanne, the way Jesus cares about me. Your challenge is the same. As we celebrate communion, I just want to encourage you, there's a reason we celebrate communion. We're taking the bread, which is a way we remember what he did with his body, and we take the juice, which is a way we remember what he did with his blood he gave himself so that we could be forgiven and children of God and and we remember it because that's the great relational example and that's the great relational opportunity we've been given we get to be children of God and that's the relational challenge and when we remember his love you know what we need to do? we need to then remember our responsibility to love like him. And I want to challenge you as we celebrate communion To celebrate his love for you, but to attach it then to your relationships in every arena of your life and make the commitment, I want to love like you. So to celebrate communion, would you stand with me at this time and I'm going to invite all those who are going to be distributing the elements down and I'm going to pray and give thanks for the bread and the juice and here's what I'm going to ask you to do as we worship. Receive the elements. They'll come in one package and hold on to them, okay? Hold on to them. And then in a moment, I'll come up and we'll celebrate communion together and then we'll continue in worship. Jesus, I thank you for what you did in loving us. May we not only experience it, Jesus, because we need your love, but may we so experience it that then we express it in the way we love others. Thank you for the bread and the juice and what it allows us to remember. May it impact us forever. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: to make me whole again. I will recall the cup poured out in sacrifice to trade the sinners and
0: love it in the middle of that song where it says the relationship we have with God requires us to remember the price that he paid. When we hold this bread and this juice it's a reminder of the price he paid. He paid the price so we could have a love relationship with God. He paid that price. But as we remember him we need to remember that we then have to pay that price in the relationships we have. As I have loved you, he says, so love others. And so, in remembrance of his love for us, and as a reminder of the love he wants us to have for others, we eat this bread in remembrance of him. And as a reminder of the love that motivated him to pour out his life so that we could have life. And as the challenge to love those in our lives as he loved us, we drink this juice in remembrance of him. And Jesus, we thank you for the love you've shown to each and every one of us the greatest relational example, the greatest relational opportunity that we've ever been given. But we pray that we would now rise to the challenge of receiving that love in a way that allows us to love others that way. And we'll thank you for how then the world will go from dark to light, from hate to love. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. No better response to his love than worship. Let's worship together right now.